Shall we pray? Father God, these are your words to us. Holy Spirit, help us to listen and open our hearts to Jesus. Okay. <clears throat> Revelation 3, verse 14. <laughs> Thanks. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Those whom I love are rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door. I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Scott, and uh, you want to keep those Bibles open uh, so you can follow along uh, as we look there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we know that uh, it is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. And Lord, uh, may it light up uh, our path uh, and guide our feet this morning. Amen. Well, there's nothing more annoying uh, on a day off uh, than you're sitting at home, you're relaxing or you're doing the chores and the doorbell rings and it's a door-to-door -door salesman. Uh, it doesn't really matter what they're selling, does it? The answer, well, at least for me, is always the same. Uh, no thanks, we're all good, uh, we've got everything we need. Now, the church that we're looking at today had made an incredible mistake. See, they had Jesus at the door, ringing the doorbell, and they'd confused Jesus with a common door-to-door -door salesman. No thanks, this church said. We're good. We've got everything we need. But they were making a terrible mistake. And actually, this is a mistake that I think we here in Australia, here in Mount Barker, are actually in terrible danger of making that exact same mistake. Well, let's have a look. Verse 14, the Amen speaks. Verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. That's a bit of a weird title, isn't it? The Amen uh, Jesus calls himself the Amen, uh, which is a Hebrew word which means truth. And he's not just saying, I am the truth. 
although he is the way, the truth, and the life, he's actually quoting an Old Testament passage in the book of Isaiah, chapter 65. Because in Isaiah 65, God had called himself the God of Amen, the God of truth. And in Isaiah 65, God described how day after day he had continuously held out his arms to his people Israel. He'd continually held out this open offer of blessing. He'd promised them a new heaven and a new earth with a wonderful heavenly city. And in Isaiah 65, as God describes himself standing there, holding his arms open with this incredible offer, what had Israel said to the God of Amen? Well, they'd put up a giant do not knock sign and literally said this, quote, keep away, don't come near us. That's what Israel had said to God in Isaiah 65. And God replied in Isaiah 65 with this. As for you who forsake the Lord, you who put up a do not knock sign and say, keep away to the Lord, I will destine you for the sword and all of you will fall in slaughter because I called you. I called you, but you did not answer. I spoke to you but you did not listen. Keep away, you said. And so here at the start of this little letter, Jesus is reminding us that he is the amen. He is the God who holds out his arms an incredible offer. He is the witness to the trustworthiness of all God's promises. He is the ruler of all creation. He's the one who offers a new heaven and a new earth. He's the one who offers blessing unimaginable, the one who we will all have to face up to one day as the judge of all the earth. See, Jesus is reminding us here that he is the one who is at the door. He is the one who spoke to Laodicea back then. Actually, he's the one who speaks through this message to us today. And what does the God of Amen have to say? Verse 15, your self-sufficiency makes me want to vomit. Verse 15, I know your deeds. You are neither cold or hot. Verse 16, so I'm about to vomit you out. That's uh, pretty... Pretty earthy language, isn't it? Uh, Jesus says, I'm going to vomit you out. Uh, and actually here, like uh, so many times through these letters that we've looked at the past few weeks, we, we actually have only kind of just scratched the surface on it. Uh, but Jesus often in these letters has used some local knowledge, some local culture uh, to add colour to these letters. And Laodicea was a town that had no natural source of drinking water. Uh, the only water they had uh, was sort of the end of six miles away in uh, um, Herapolis. There was uh, hot springs. And these hot springs over there, they're sort of medicinal springs, the kind of place that you go and, you know, you sit, you relax, you feel better and all your aches and pains, you know, feel a little bit less aches and painy for a while. And 
then that water flowed out of the hot springs six miles all the way to Laodicea and then tumbled over a lukewarm, undrinkable mess. You couldn't drink this stuff without vomiting because it was so full of minerals. It would make you sick. And the problem with this water is it's not, it's not hot enough for a bath and it's not cold or pure enough to drink. It's useless water. It's water that's not good for anything and if you stuck it in your mouth, you would vomit it up. And so Laodicea's problem isn't, isn't a problem of spiritual temperature. It's not that, you know, they're spiritual, but they're just not spiritual enough. Their problem is that they're actually just useless. It's good for nothing. Like their lukewarm water, this church was of no use to Jesus. Why? Why, why were they of no use to Jesus? Well, we find out, verse 17, they are relying on something other than Jesus. Have a look. Verse 17, Jesus says, you say this, you say, I'm rich, I don't need a thing. What was it? No thanks, we're good, we've got everything we need. But, says Jesus, you don't realise that you're actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Now, Laodicea here is the, the opposite to Smyrna. Remember a few weeks back, we saw the church of Smyrna, where Smyrna was physically in poverty. They had no money, they had no food, they had no clothes, they couldn't get medical. Jesus said, but you're spiritually rich. Here is a church who is physically wealthy. They've got food, they've got clothes, they've got access to good health care, they've got money and yet they're spiritually paupers. They're bankrupt. And unlike Smyrna, who called out to God and trusted him for everything, Laodicea is trusting in their own resources, their own means, their own bank accounts, instead of Jesus for everything. So how did Laodicea, as a city, solve their water problem? Well, of course, they paid for it. They paid to have this enormous six-mile-long, three-foot-wide uh, terracotta pipe put in from a nearby town of Colossae so they could pipe their water in. And when they had an earthquake that destroyed the city, how did they solve their problem? Well, they did the same thing. They threw money at it. Actually, they refused to accept help from Rome and they paid for the rebuilding of their whole city themselves. And they made it even better than it started. And it wasn't just for big things. Actually, when it came to everyday matters, here is a church that trusts in their own resources, their own wealth, to get them by. If they were hungry, they went out and bought some food. If they were cold, they went and bought some world-famous Laodicean wool tunics. If they were sick, actually Laodicea was well known as a place with cutting-edge medical. They went and saw a doctor. If they were hassled by the local authorities for not worshipping Caesar, no problem. They just slipped them a paper bag of gold coins under the table and kept doing what they do. See, they lived like they didn't actually need Jesus. They lived by trust solving their problems and trusting 
in their wealth and their resources. They were a church that tried to be self-sufficient to do it on their own. See, and they acted like they actually had done it themselves, as if their wealth and their position hadn't come from Jesus in the first place. Jesus says, you, you think you've got everything you need, but actually, you're missing the very most basic, fundamental, important things of all. Now, this should trouble us. I think this should trouble us. Because actually, we're wealthier than Laodicea was. We've got life better than they did. And so we are in serious danger of making that very same mistake maybe many of us already have. We've got better belongings, better clothes, better food, better healthcare, better lifestyle than they had. Uh, There's a preacher in Sydney uh, and uh, he's got a line, he says that affluence is when a treat becomes trite. When a treat becomes trite. See, when I was a kid, going out for a meal, you know, going out to get Chinese or a pizza, that's basically all there was back then, um, that was a treat, right? You did that once in a blue moon. Now people go out, you know, every week. You go get fancy cheese, you know. You get fancy cheese for Christmas. You can, people get fancy cheese every week. It's always in the fridge. See, when the, when the treats just become an expected part of everyday life, you know you're rich. And, you know, actually my generation, when we move out, we move into a home, unlike our parents, we don't think that we're going to move into, you know, a little tiny ramshackle place and that's your first place and then you... You know, you, you, you get secondhand furniture and then you slowly, slowly, you know, replace the chairs as they break. No, when my generation moves out of home, we want to move into a house just as nice as the house that our parents live in after 40 years of marriage. We are incredibly affluent. We have life incredibly good. And Jesus says that is incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous. Uh, in, uh, in Katoomba, in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales, uh, every year uh, there's a bunch of conferences, Christian conferences. And back in 2009, uh, there was a South African preacher, Frank Retief. Anyone heard Frank Retief before? Great. Should, yep, worth listening to. Uh, and he was out. And uh, someone asked him a question up the front about living in South Africa. I can't remember what part he's from. Uh, and someone asked him about, you know, how dangerous it is. Uh, you know, they're thinking, you know, you get, you get mugged, you, you know, you get carjacked, you get shot at, those sort of things. He said, oh, South Africa's not dangerous. He said, this, Australia, is far more dangerous. He said, Australia is the most spiritually dangerous place on earth because you have life so good. You have life so easy. You have everything you want. You're not being shot at. And that is the most spiritually dangerous place you can be in. See, why would we bother to pray when we can pay? Why would we bother to trust when we've got dollar bucks sitting in the bank? We can solve our own problems. I wonder if our prayers are a little bit less like the Lord's Prayer and a little bit more like this. 
Our Father in heaven, don't worry today about my daily bread. I'm about to go grab a sourdough and a beesting while I'm getting my espresso coffee. Maybe hold off on that kingdom come thing for a little while. I'm, at least wait till I've done a few more trips to the outback and started to enjoy my retirement a little bit. See, we're in danger of thinking we have all that we need. And I have actually, uh, I think of all of these passages we've looked at the last few weeks, I've been really uh, confronted by this one. I realise that this is a danger that I stumble in over and over and over again. Uh, Constantly thinking about the next project, the next purchase, the next adventure. I struggle to be as generous as I could be because I actually don't want to eat into that buffer that means I don't have to rely on anyone or have to panic or have to find myself on my knees going, God, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. And with church, I realise I've been in this loop of thinking like you're thinking, man, it would be nice to have a few million dollars. We could buy a property and get our own facility. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That would solve some problems. And we could put on some more pastoral staff, which we desperately need, and, and sort of get in this loop of thinking, well, money would solve these problems. That's madness. I mean, we'll need money to, to do some of these things, but we need to go to Jesus for what we need. Jesus says, well, what does he say? Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me. You don't have what you need. You're missing something. And the solution is to buy it. But not out there. Not with your credit card. Buy from me gold, true treasure that's refined in the fire so that you can become rich. Buy from me white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Buy from me salve, ointment to put on your eyes so you can see. Those who I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, guys. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. See, Jesus actually has the best deal in history, doesn't he? We come to him and we buy what we truly need. We buy what makes us spiritually richer than we could ever imagine. We buy what covers us and takes away our shame and our sin and our guilt and our worthlessness. We buy what gives us sight to see the world as it truly is. This world that's passing away, these things that are going to get eaten up by moths and destroyed by rust and that's all going to be left behind when we die. He offers us the greatest gift of true riches. Buy from me, Jesus says. And what's the price? What's free? We just stop ignoring him. And we open the door. We open our hearts to him. And we be earnest. We be zealous. Actually, this is the same word as verse 15. It's actually the word hot. Be hot and repent. You know, you're neither hot, you're not cold. Jesus says, be hot, be zealous for what I give. 
Stop worrying about being zealous for all that other stuff. We just fall on our knees and ask forgiveness for thinking that we can look after ourselves by our own means. There was a, an evangelist in Sydney years ago. He's, he's died now. Um, some of you know uh, Chapo or John Chapman. Uh, and he had a story that he told that kind of became famous uh, around Sydney of a man who went, uh, who died and was standing before God. He, he meets God. And God says to him, what are you doing here unforgiven? Why are you here when you're not forgiven? Why have you come to me when you're not forgiven? The man says, well, I didn't think it mattered much. Sound familiar? Didn't think they really needed it. And God says, you must think I'm a fool. I gave my son up to die for you and you thought it didn't matter. See, Jesus, the God of Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of creation, if we stand before him and say, and he says, why didn't you open the door? Why didn't you buy from me what you really need? And we say, I thought it didn't really matter. I thought I had everything I needed. I thought I was fine. He's going to say, well, you must think I'm a fool. Did I stand there knocking for all that time for something that didn't matter? Well, to those who do open the door, who accept Jesus' offer, Jesus gives an incredible promise, a dinner and a drive. Verse 20. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now in Tasmania, uh, when the Queen came to visit back in the 50s, uh, there was one commoner's residence that the Queen stayed in, this, uh, this farm in Cressy called Connorville, where the O'Connors lived. And uh, as far as uh, I know, it was the very first time actually in history that the Queen had come and stayed in a commoner's house and the commoners had stayed in the house at the same time. And can you just imagine what it would have been like waking up that first morning and sitting around the breakfast table and the Queen's pouring the milk on her wheat bix and, oh, Your Majesty, would you mind passing me the Vegemite, please? You know, can you imagine what an honour that would be? Wouldn't that just blow your mind? You know, actually, it's such a claim to fame. The family was so honoured by it. They still have a plaque on the wall. People come to visit just because this is the house where the Queen came. What an honour. Wouldn't that just be the most wonderful thing the Queen could do for you? But as gracious as Her Majesty was, she never would have dreamed of doing what Jesus promises he will do for those who open the door. Have a look at the next verse. Verse 21. Jesus goes on, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, when I was a kid, uh, my favourite place in the world was uh, just out between uh, Palmer and... Um, uh, Cambrai, a uh, little place called Sanderston where my grandparents have their farm. Uh, 
And one of my favourite things in the world to do uh, was to get up as early as I could in the morning, wake Dad up, get him to drive me out into the paddock where Grandpa was in the harvester or the tractor, and, you know, finally flag down Grandpa. And Grandpa would stop, and he'd open the door, and he'd invite me up. And I'd sit on his lap, and I'd hold the steering wheel. And we'd go, we'd, I would do it day after day, all day, every day, just going from one end to the other and turn around and come back and turn around and come back. It was the most amazing thing ever to sit in that chair with Grandpa and play with the steering wheel. He'd slowly teach me some of the controls. Now, he was always in control. He was always in control. But for me, a little boy, it was the most incredible privilege to sit with him in this huge, noisy, you know, a little glass box up onto the top of this massive thing, looking out at the paddocks, and it was awesome. See, like the queen who stayed in that farm in, in Tassie, Jesus says to one who opens the door to me, I will come in and eat with you. What an incredible privilege that the God of our men, the Lord of all creation, will eat with us and pass the salt. And like my grandpa in the tractor, actually Jesus is going to sit on the throne of heaven and say, hey, come up here. Come, sit with me. Here's a steering wheel. Have a little play. That's an unimaginable honour that he would bestow on us. Well, as we've heard so many times this past seven weeks, verse 22, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Just check. You've got your ears there, yeah? No one here who doesn't? So there's no one here who Jesus is not speaking to. Hear what Jesus says to the churches here. Don't be fooled by your wealth. Don't think that you've got everything you need. Don't think you can get by in your own means. Jesus is knocking and calling out at the door. Come, open the door. Buy from him what you truly need. Verse 